to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Meditation is a topic that we've covered here on Basecamp a number of times. It's not a coincidence that most of my guests have not only a familiarity with meditation, but most have active practices spanning many decades and many different types of meditation. We've done episodes with Paul Dunyan and Ziad Masri. We've done episodes with Janelle Hartman and Howard Ferguson. We've done them with Sally Kempton and Sophie McLean. And we've done recent episodes with Champ Perinia and Lisa Rizak, all active meditators. I bet if I ask all my guests, most would say they have some sort of meditation practice. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If meditation speeds up evolution, then a show about men's personal development really should have a lot of meditators on the guest list. My take on meditation is that it's one of the most powerful tools that you can use for yourself and your development. What are the benefits? The answer is comprehensive. In other words, it helps with everything. And there's a touch of magic and mysticism in meditation, something transcendent. And who doesn't love these qualities? You are, in a very real sense, communicating with the divine. You may not start off with that as your notion, but over time, it hits your awareness as this jaw-dropping discovery. And your awareness starts to expand. Ego starts to dissolve, and with it, all the unnecessary suffering that comes with it. Patterns that seemed on the edge of your awareness suddenly come into full, clear view, and subtle energies that eluded you suddenly become available to you. I like this quote by the great Ken Wilber. He says, quote, Meditation speeds up evolution. It accelerates the remembering and the rediscovery of the spirit that you eternally are. Meditation quickens the rate that acorns grow into oaks, that humans grow into God, unquote. My guest today is a lifelong student and teacher of meditation and meditation techniques. Let's go have a chat with him. Richard Haidt is the founder of the Total Embodiment Method, which is an awareness training system designed to integrate meditation into one's daily life. Richard is the author of five best-selling books, most notably The Warrior's Meditation, Unshakable Awareness, and The Unbound Soul, and he is considered one of the world's foremost experts in the traditional Japanese martial arts. Through his books, meditation, and martial arts seminars, Richard seeks to ignite a worldwide movement for personal transformation that is free of all constraints and open to anyone of any level. Here is my interview with Richard Haidt. Okay, I'm here with Richard Haidt, martial artist, author, teacher, meditation student and teacher, Richard Haidt. Richard, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. And a little little correction there. I probably should have pointed this out earlier, and I always forget to. The name is pronounced Height. Um, and that's actually that's actually because my grandfather was a rather, rather religious person and uh, um, and changed it from the pronunciation from hate to height. So, so originally it was hate, but then he that's right. In fact, I guess my great great grandfather was the governor of California and the there's a road uh, hate Ashbury in San Francisco that was named after him. Yeah, yeah, so, okay. I think that's why I probably went to that pronunciation first, but good to know it's height. Um, so before we start, you know, I found you from Ziad Masri. Um, mm-hmm. He is a friend of ours. We, um, I read his book um, and I connected with him. We did an episode uh, last season and I reached out to him. He's all the way in Dubai. And I reached out to him to say, hey, are, do you want to tee up another one? And he said, I'm super busy with my writing, but here is Richard Height. He is a mentor of mine, 
uh, why don't you reach out to him and see if you guys can connect? But I guess I wanted to ask you, how, how do you know Ziad? Because you're in Southern Oregon, correct? That's right. And he's all the way, he's all the way in Dubai. Like, was he a student of yours previously, a martial arts student? Like, how do you know, how do you know Ziad? No, not at all. In fact, um, what had happened is that he and I published our books at a similar time. And uh, a, a, few, a few years after we published, uh, myself as well as, uh, I think it was nine other authors got together to do a book, a book, uh, a box set that kind of um, exposed our audience to each of each other's content. And that's how we met. I contacted Ziad because his books sort of, you know, had a similar theme. Yep. And, uh, and so contacted him and then he ended up writing the foreword to uh, my book, The Unbound Soul. And after he read the book, he contacted me and asked me to come out to Dubai to mentor him for a week. Ah, that's, that's how we met. Beautiful, beautiful. That's great. Now, this is kind of a big question to start off with, but you've been a lifelong martial artist. Um, you spent 15 years in Japan. You've studied your, your, since you were a young, young man. And I guess I wanted to ask you, what, what have been the main lessons that you've taken from martial arts and, and applied to your life? I guess I'm really interested in, in uh, you know, how, how you took the teachings and the principles maybe of the martial arts you've studied and then applied them to how you live your life day to day. There's almost nothing that hasn't affected my life in the martial arts training. But uh, when I first began, of course, I was studying arts that the teachers I was studying from weren't so advanced. And, and you know, there's a variance in, in the degree of depth in, in different arts as well. And so um, there wasn't a lot in the first number of systems that I trained. But by the time I got to Japan, there were uh, the arts were really all about awareness and uh, connectivity of the body, that sort of thing. And it transformed entirely my life because if we look at the brain as, it, as, it, as if it was a, a brain and nervous system, as if it was a, a layers of development, which it is, uh, there are many brains within the brain, so to speak. Um, the martial arts that I studied, the very highest levels of martial arts, requires to go deeper and deeper into the nervous system and deeper and deeper into bodily awareness. That transforms our perception of ourselves as well as our interaction with the world around us. And it, 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 there's nothing that it doesn't touch into. Uh, but fundamentally, the most obvious thing is that one becomes very calm and clear at a felt sense, not mental clarity, although that is a secondary effect. You have mental clarity, but you also have a deep felt uh, experiential clarity that is then very difficult to perturb, uh, which is a great thing. You know, your thoughts, of course, then greatly lessen. You're less self-absorbed uh, and you can dedicate your, your bodily energy or life energy towards tasks with much less inner resistance and incidentally, much less external resistance. Yeah. Uh, because those around you who, who are perceiving you are also perceiving you at a subconscious level, there's like two levels of conversation going on, two levels of interaction going on, that which we're consciously aware of and that which we are unconsciously not aware of, but our, our unconscious minds are. And our bodies are reacting according to that underlying conversation much more than they are to what is spoken and what we are consciously aware of. And, and so the communication at that subconscious level greatly clarifies. And it just, it just helps. helps in, there's like nothing it doesn't help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there a point where you realized, you know, at what point did you realize I'm going, my commitment to this path is going to be my lifelong path? You know, in other words, like, 
maybe at the beginning you were like, God, I love this martial arts. I'm learning how to fight. Oh, it's got this mystical, you know, meditation part. Like there, there was, everything was maybe lining up and you were learning a lot, but when did you, when did it switch for you? How old were you when you said, no, I I'm going to take this and run with it. I think this has got everything I need to continue to study well into my adulthood and maybe make this a hero's journey or a teaching of, you know, where I become a teacher. Uh, were, were you, were you fairly young when that hit or was that later on when you discovered, Hey, I'm, I think I want to make this my path. Yeah, I believe that was about probably age 20. Um, and I was actually living in Atlanta, Georgia, and I, I have, I'm prone to, um, I have very strong, as you described as a sense of intuition. Mm-hmm. Uh, also prone to having vision, like mystical experiences, just naturally occurring mystical experiences, and had a strong pull. I was working there, had a good job, but you know, I had a strong pull to go back to California to find a certain teacher, and that just, I just picked up and left. Basically, I mean, it, I gave my notice, you know, like a month notice or whatever, and then just drove back to California. And after that, it was all. Once I made that decision, there was no turning back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in your book, uh, The Warrior's Meditation, you mentioned how one of your teachers had a two-second meditation before starting training. And I've never heard of that. I thought that was really interesting. And I, and I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, can you get into a deep meditative state in two seconds? And if... If you can't, what was the what? What did you learn from that over time? Because I know in the book you described how you kind of you would do it, of course, because that's what everybody did before they started training. But you also were skeptical, like, why do we do? Why does he do a two second meditation when you can get deeper with more time? What did you discover about that exercise over time? Yeah, so uh, so as I pursued that, I discovered that in fact two seconds is 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 actually still way too long. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, so so the, the the that was just a hint as to what was f- where you were to take it, which is ultimately instantly, and then at some point yeah. just always. Um, so yes, it's it's very doable. Something that I've accomplished. Something that's well, not really an accomplishment. It's hard to describe meditation as an accomplishment, but yes, um, it's very it's very um, it's it's possible to live in that in that way. Is it was part of the reason that he did it? Sort of the samurai or the warrior always have to be alert right now, as opposed to, I think, you know, mystics or meditation teachers, you know, you tend to do long meditations where you, you might sit and continue to sit longer and longer to train, to train yourself. Um, is it, is it have to do with that? He comes from that warrior background. Many of my meditation teachers have not been of the martial arts background, so there would never be. Yes, it was, it's completely, it was just part of that, that martial tradition had been passed down and everybody just did it for, a few, I mean, it wasn't exactly two seconds, you know, around there. Um, and then I just became curious about it. And he didn't have an answer for me. He said, you know, why don't you explore that? He's, he himself didn't know the answer to it. Yeah. Um, and it just is just how it was passed on to me and how it was passed on to my teacher's teacher and, you know, just all the way back. Um, so, of course, there was originally a reason for it. Yeah. And, and yes, it's it's a, a martial artist, if, if they're certainly like samurai if you're of samurai and sincere about it, your job is to be aware at all times. Right, right, right. And uh, so in a sense, you you have to take it further than someone who's just seeking mystical experience. Right. I mean, I has your, has your sort of take on meditation as a tool or a path, has it changed over time? I think I first got interested in meditation as a college student, you know, 
I, I was kind of like you. I was drawn to the mystical and even the psychedelic. Like I read Ram Dass's Be Here Now and the, you know, the kind of the, the beatnik doorway into uh, mysticism and meditation. And it was, it was very innocent, but I, I was very attracted to it. And then over time, it was like this long, you know, training and getting better at it and training myself to have more of a capacity for silence. Um, and then it seemed like recently I've kind of arrived back at the, the original notion of that it's got this particular magic and, and communication with the divine communication to what is mystical and what is mysterious. Um, and I guess I just wanted to ask you kind of what, how is your take on meditation as a path and a tool evolved as you have evolved over time? Yes. Uh, so as I've, when I first began, I, I really did begin for purposes of martial training. I think my first meditation was actually just, I was kind of going insane from an argument with my mother and I had recently learned a meditation technique from my girlfriend. So I just tried it out and it, it worked. It took me from just, you know, the edge of the, you know, murderous insanity to, yeah. to um, you know, a little bit of an exaggeration there, but um, uh, to just a total calm clarity, a feeling of blending with the environment around me. Yeah. And uh, that, that really initiated it, but I never studied with uh, a, what you would call a, a religious or um, meditation for the purpose of meditation type training system. Mm -hmm. um, so I really just, I was training in karate at that time. And I just thought, gosh, it'd be great if this experience of oneness could be incorporated into one's daily life, into the martial arts training as well. And, you know, wouldn't that, that wouldn't that be amazing? Because when I got up from that meditation, it stayed with me, that clarity stayed with me and I walked down the hill. So I thought, well, this certainly can be incorporated into movement and, and maybe daily life. And that's where it began. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I progressed, it just, it just became a bigger and bigger part of my life. And uh, now, it, it, of course, for me, it, it improves the martial arts, it, Im it improves the writing, it improves relationships, it improves everything. But I also, you know, I'm very common. I mean, a couple, couple weeks out of the month, I'll, I'll have, you know, maybe two or three nights a week out of about half the weeks of the month, I'll, I'll have mystical experiences just naturally occurring. I'll wake up at mm. three o'clock in the morning and, and, and be receiving information until say four or five in the morning and yeah. then have to go and write about it. Um, yeah. So it's not, it's not like this is, it's not boxed in any way. It's not, this is martial arts or this is a spiritual training or this is, it's not boxed in any way. It's just, something that is useful as a tool to improve the quality of our life in whatever way we we're open to it, um, having its effects. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Um, you, you know, in your book, you mentioned, I thought this was really interesting. You mentioned a difference between a sort of focused one pointed awareness and a more open awareness or like a bit, like the Buddhists say big mind where, you know, you've got this more, spacious awareness and i wanted to ask you um in your in your experience are they used for different things and if so kind of which which is best for what i guess is one way of asking you well there are two there are two different paths that can lead to the same place or we'll say similar places uh the, the path of concentration is what is typically taught in meditation and it's taught worldwide 
Um, the issue is that our societies are all already about focus and concentration and more focus and concentration. And the brain is pretty exhausted of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we use focus and concentration from a beta brainwave state, whereas the Buddhists or other uh, types of meditation are seeking to get to an alpha brainwave state through focus and concentration. And that's where the difficulty lies is because we already have a habit of focusing and concentrating for on our goals or whatever it is we're doing, reading, whatever, yeah. uh, but that's already associated with a beta brainwave state. So when we practice meditation in that way, it's we're kind of fighting already an existing associated um, brain pattern. It creates a kind of struggle. Um, and so what I found is, and it's especially it's like very difficult for children to do this, right? Uh, to do that concentration method. Um, and not to say that it's bad, it's, that is one way of doing it. And in fact, the first way that I did the meditation I talked about on that hillside was that concentration method. And it did work for me. Right. Um, I just found that it, 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 it created a lot more struggle than it has to. It takes a lot longer to get into that state than, than really um, other options provide. And uh, ultimately, through the martial arts training, I, you, know, you just cannot concentrate on one point if you're surrounded by 10 people. Yeah. Right, it's right. just not practical. I mean, it, you as having practiced Aikido, I'm sure you'd, you'd understand what I'm saying there. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and so I just found a completely different pathway. And the interesting thing is that the open mind is actually far easier uh, mm-hmm. for most people. And, and children pick it up really easy. The easiest people to get it are, are, are children. Yep. Pre-puberty children just pick it up right away. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one thing I noticed about it is the open awareness, the big mind awareness I think you're more receptive to the mystical, like you'd explained earlier. I think you're inviting it when you're when you're making your awareness that big rather than focused on the breath or yeah. on your posture. I think you invite in uh, uh, the mystical and the transcendental. I think you're you're sort of you know making your your identity with the body. You're starting to dissolve, and it's bringing in new information, which is often very fantastic. That's right. In fact, I describe that as the transparent self, where your sense of of your identity, your sense of body itself, starts to feel transparent. And and mm-hmm. when this happens, it's like the we'll say that window of perception that we normally think of as being us, mm-hmm. our conscious mind, uh, starts to be able to have access to data that it previously didn't have access to. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I, it's not necessarily something I would recommend for people. I mean, a lot of people are not really. Um, prepared for the types of things that they may perceive when they yeah. open up in this way. So I never tell people you should do this. Right. It's just for those people who really feel like they need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about diet. Um, what do you recommend for diet? Because I'm curious it's if there's a difference between optimal diet for a meditative life and a difference between um, somebody that trains vigorously in the martial arts, because I, there's, it's almost counterintuitive that they might be the same sort of diet because you're demanding a lot of your body over here on the martial arts end and not so much if you're living a contemplative life, but what have you found in terms of diet? Has your diet changed when you, you know, started training real hard? Has it evolved over time? What have you found gives you the optimal uh, life energy and the optimal, uh, rebound in healing when you train hard i guess yes for uh, now i believe this will vary from person to person uh, my my experience and exploration of diet has been quite extensive and i'm not a dietitian i'm not so you know 
think what I say with a, with a huge grain or a huge bag of salt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in my experience, what I found is that different cultures, different, you know, the ethnic cultures, or whatever have, they've had a long established diet. They, people will tend to do better with those diets. Now, in, like for example, in the United States where people, bloods tend to be mixed a lot, it gets a lot more confusing. Um, but, uh, for my body, I found, and this is, was quite counterintuitive, that for the most part, I need an anti-inflammatory diet, which is essentially mostly meat, a lot of fat, mm-hmm. fat and meat, and, 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 and a few vegetables. Mm. Uh, the, the carbohydrates and sugars are just, they're not helpful at all. Yeah. Um, and, okay, not at all, but, you know, added to, with vegetables, there's already a certain amount of carbohydrates and sugars, but anything that's a concentrated sugar is, is, uh, is really not helpful. Concentrated carbohydrates. Uh, you know, I tend to have energy lows after that. It'll pop up and then back down Yeah. as a martial artist who's looking for a consistent type of awareness, a consistent type of endurance, a consistent type of strength. I'm not looking for snappy or flashy or quick. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for uniform, c- consistent movement. Uh, these are higher level martial arts where you're looking for movements that are not telegraphed, that are very stable and smooth not um that are almost they, they feel kind of invisible to the attacker you're not looking for speed mm. um, you're not looking for snappiness and you're not looking for a lot of physical power what you're looking for is just a consistency of awareness and that type of a diet at least for my body works very well for both the martial art as well as the the meditative training I, i've tried to do i've tried to go vegetarian but i'm I think I I'm optimized the way that you eat. I think lean, like really high quality meat, vegetables, and cut way down on the sugars and the grains, uh, like an anti-inflammatory. I think that that works best for me too. I just feel better. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, I kick up the tires on going vegetarian. You know, maybe I'll read a few articles or a book, and I'll be like, "Huh, I wonder if I could if I could eat." You know, I I don't know if you saw the the documentary, The Game Changers, but it was all about these world-class athletes that switched to a plant-based diet and they were getting phenomenal results, like really low numbers, their blood work looked great and they were really low inflammation and high recovery rates. And, but every time I step up to try and implement it, I'm just, I don't know what it is. There's something about it. that doesn't feel like it, it's quite in alignment with me. Um, I don't know if you've done any research in there. Did you see the documentary, The Game Changer? No, I, I didn't see the documentary, but uh, I was a vegetarian for, oh gosh, probably a good 10 years. Really? Uh, and yeah, and, and actually it, it worked for my body for a few years and then it just like something changed. Yeah. And I find that's often the case with people that have been on a vegetarian diet for a certain period of time. It seems to work for a period of time. And I suspect there's some, there's a certain lack of nutrient in certain areas with any specific diet. And then after a while, your body becomes depleted in certain areas, certain nutrients, and then it just, it, it hits a wall. Yeah. Were, were, you veg, were you vegetarian when you were in Japan or were you not doing that? I was, that uh, so I, I became vegetarian when I was probably 21 Okay. and continued until I was probably about 28, I would guess. But yeah, I was, I went to Japan in 24, so about four years in Japan. Uh, but that was before I was doing a lot of, I mean, really intensive training. At that time, I think I was just four days a week, an hour and a half each day kind of thing. Whereas right, toward right. the end, my last half there was a lot more every day. And um, last year was, was uh, yeah, eight, eight, nine hours a day. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody that's brand new to meditation, what, 
where would you point them or what would you recommend as a structure? If somebody is listening to this and they're like, hey, I've heard Tony do a few shows about meditation. Uh, I'm interested, you know, besides Googling and clicking on, you know, YouTube, uh, what would be a structure that you would recommend for somebody that's like, hey, I like the way meditation sounds with Richard. I like the way he describes how it, what a calming effect it has and, and how what a what a deep uh, impact it's had on his life. I want to try it out for myself, but there's just so much out there. Uh, wh- where what would you recommend, and where would you point them, or 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 you know how how would you direct them to get started? Yeah, it, now this would very much depend on what they hope to get out of the meditation. If they're just looking to improve the overall quality of their life, you know, be clear, but be be clear in action. In other words, it's not an escape from life. It's not like mm-hmm. if they view meditation as this is a retreat from life, uh, this is an escape from stress or that sort of thing, then I would recommend that they do, they don't do what we're doing. <laughs> right, right. The total embodiment method, which is what I yep. describe um, our training. But if they're interested in actually applying it to all of their life, then it resonates, there aren't many options. Uh, as far as I can see, that's pretty much uh, the total embodiment method is, is the, the currently probably the most powerful method for that. Uh, mindfulness med- meditation is a great way to go. If they're interested in something that has um, a religious cultural associations and any kind of Buddhist meditation, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, if they, if they actually are, are interested in just making it a kind of retreat from life and in back some background music and, you know, focus on you know, crossing your legs and certain poses, then, then most any kind of meditation could work. Right. Yeah, yeah. Richard, is there any upcoming uh, projects you'd like our listeners to know about? Any anything that you'd like to point them to that you might be having coming up here in the next few months? Well, uh, the first thing is like you know, for anybody who's interested in, in learning the total embodiment method, they can go to my website, and that's Richard L. Hait H A I G H T dot com. Click on meditation, and and you can actually subscribe to. I teach daily meditations. It's fifteen minutes each morning, every day of the week. And uh, people can attend live or on demand. And uh, that, that's a great introduction to the method that we use. And anybody can do it, male, female, any age. You don't have to be samurai. <laughs> right? uh, and it actually is very, very effective, even short periods of time. Uh, but as far as future projects right now, the, probably the most uh, uh, the, the things coming out soon would be a, a book that uh, it's actually about the first three chapters of Genesis. Hmm. Um, something that I didn't know I was going to be writing about, but uh, I reread those chapters and saw it in a completely new light. Um, and that those first three chapters of Genesis is kind of like a map of of um, correct and incorrect psychology. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a quite a profound uh, understanding that's in those chapters. But of course, it's written through the lens of the culture in which it was expressed at that time and who knows how long before right. it was written. It was just an oral tradition. So that story may go back 10, 15, 20,000 years for all we know those stories. Uh, but there's a profound depth there that I'd, I'd like to um, reveal because it doesn't seem that anybody's really seen what's there yet. So is it, are you taking a Gnostic take on it or, or I've not read Gnosticism. It's just yeah. mystical, mystical experience. I woke up uh, having in dream state, reading Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and the highlight, and it was highlighted the important passages there and what exactly they meant. And then I woke up from that dream and immediately had to run into my, my uh, study or where I work, my office, and I have a, where I have 
the Old Testament and opened it up and read it. And this is something I hadn't read in probably 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And there it all was, just as the vision showed. And I could see clearly how it has been interpreted in the past and why it's been interpreted that way and how it's led in the direction it's led to religiosity. Right. right, right. Um, and then how it could be read in a completely different way and understood in a te- completely different way. And it, it, it's not religious from that perspective, spiritual, you might describe, might, you might call it, um, but it would greatly, in, um, it, it frees you from psychological suffering if you understand what it actually means and apply it to your life. Well, I'm super excited about the book. I, count me in for a buy. I, just let me know when it's released and I will be the first one there because I, I think it's a, I've been interested in that topic. I've done a lot of re- reading myself. I've never considered writing about it, but I, I'm very interested to see what your take is and what your vision is on that because I think it's, it could be very, very valuable for people. So, and when, when's it coming out? I'm not sure yet. I'm st- I've been, I'm just plugging away at it. I'm hoping that it'll come out at the end of this year. Okay. But uh, you know, there's still some areas that that need a little bit more revelation to complete. So, kind of comes as it comes. Well, keep at it. Um, you're you're a really good writer. I love your book, uh, and I'm looking forward to this one. You're talking about it. When it comes out, you'll have to come back and uh, we can talk about Genesis and and how you came to write this book. I think it would be a really fantastic episode. So, thank you so much, Richard, for coming on Basecamp for Men, sharing your insight and wisdom. It was really great to connect with you. Um, and good luck on the writing and keep up the good work. Thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure talking with you. I hope you enjoyed our time with Richard. I have found that like Richard, meditation has greatly improved my writing. There is an allowing in writing, a giving yourself over to the flow of words that meditation helps prepare you for. I also like what he said about how training ourselves in open awareness or what the Buddhists call big mind is oftentimes easier for beginners. There's something really interesting about this. If meditation walks you along a path of light with fellow mystics and seers, then this vast, expansive exploration will certainly hold treasures for those brave enough to plunge into the deep end of the ocean, so to speak. I sometimes wonder as I prepare to do a meditation, how many millions of other souls am I joining in this extraordinary experiment in energy, frequency, and vibration? Who might I meet next along these ancient roads? I thank you, my listeners, and I wish you Godspeed. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac and you're listening to Base Camp for Men. Basecamp for Men.